This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. It's podcasts for the weird at heart. You're listening to Keep Screaming, a horror podcast from two best friends dissecting slasher movies one by one. My name is Ryan Larson. And my name is B. McKenzie. Every two weeks, we will bring you a brand new episode where we dissect a slasher film from top to bottom. We will look at the movie as a whole, going over the story, the casting, music choices, go kill by kill, and then rank it on how well it succeeds as a slasher film. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ScreamingCast or by searching Keep Screaming. You can find me online at B-Not-B, that's B-E-E, not B-E-A, and Ryan at Ryan Larson. This week, we are dissecting 2021's Fear Street 1994, directed by Lee Janiak. But first, our pop culture check-in. For new listeners, our pop culture check-in is a chance for you to get to know what we've been watching, reading, and consuming outside of our movie this week, as well as life updates. Uh, big life update. The main reason that we haven't been around is B had another baby. <laughs> I did. So I had um, a little girl on June 18th. Her name is Cora. Um, and so, yeah, that's what we've been up to. Um, I had a really sort of medically complicated pregnancy um, this go around. Um, for those who might be new to the podcast, I have a two-year-old son. This is my second pregnancy. Um, it started off with extreme morning sickness that I had to be medicated for. And by the time I recovered from that, I was diagnosed with gestational diabetes. Um, and like it got to the point where I had to start taking insulin and it just was a lot of doctor's appointments and kind of added stress. And I just did not have the time or mental capability to really dedicate to anything besides my pregnancy, my two-year-old, and work. Um, So unfortunately, uh, the podcast had to kind of go on hiatus, which we didn't want to do, but um, excited to be back. Um, And all is good. Everybody's healthy and happy. And um, she's a month old now, somehow. I don't know how that happened already. Oh, but wow. yeah, it's great. Just our little blissful little parent life over here. Yes. And I've got to visit Cora twice now. Yeah. Uh, so I have seen her and she is beautiful and she is very chill. Um, she's very, very chill. She just, I get to hold her forever because she just hangs out and doesn't really complain too much unless she gets cold. Uh, yeah she's very different she likes to be held which is new for us my son never even like right out the gate never liked to be held super super independent and she's the opposite like as soon as we set her down and like a swing or a bouncer she lasts like five minutes and she's like no i'd like you to hold me again so that's definitely different yeah, I remember Liam. We used to just sit in that. We could watch whole movies with him in that little. Oh yeah, chair. Just yeah. chill in his little swing. He watched. Remember when uh, we had uh, Brennan and Aaron over? Like we watched that whole movie, Serenity, with and yeah. and I think The Carpenter both with Liam just in yeah. that chair. 
Yeah. Super no, chill. He just yeah. left it just super chill. So yeah, he was like, I think three or four months old at that time. So yeah, it's crazy. Babies are really different. I'm learning. I mean, I, I you know that, but it definitely makes a difference when you experience it and you're like, oh, I've got this down like my second kid. And then I'm like, oh, wait, they're so different. It's almost like having to be like, oh, it didn't, it's not working. What we did for Liam isn't working for her. Uh, so it's just humbling to remember that we don't know everything. <laughs> um, yeah. So B had a baby. Um, nothing super exciting in my life, really. Uh, still just down in LA uh, gearing. I was just telling B I'm gearing up for Halloween because all the Halloween stuff has started to get announced. So I'm starting to get really excited about that. Uh, Horror Nights and the Boogie Bash at Disneyland. I've never done the Disneyland Halloween um, party, which is wild considering how many times I've gone to Disney. Um, so I'm really excited to do that and see all the villains because um, they have like their own little parade. And then I've also like I I've had like a weird bout of it's been a couple months now um, where because normally it's like B watches all the TV and I watch all the movies. And um, I've just been stuck on TV for a hot minute. I did all of Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, Anatomy. but not real TV. Well, yeah, I mean, I know, but still, it's been TV. I've just been rewatching or watching things for the first time. So I watched all of Grey's Anatomy, all of Sex in the City, both of which I had never seen and loved both. Um, oh, and then, I didn't know you did Sex in the City. So oh, good. Oh, yeah. So good. Except that second movie, which in my head does not exist. That movie is yeah. ferocious. Holy crap. That's Excited for the new one. Oh, I'm super stoked. Um, I am watching the new Gossip Girl. Um, so I'm up on that. And I'm re-watching Supernatural. Um, but also, uh, anyone who listens to the show knows that I love Trash TV. And right now, there is just a smorgasbord of reality trash TV. I've got Love Island UK is on right now. Bachelorette is on right now. Um, Too Hot to Handle Season 2 just dropped on Netflix. Already finished it. That show Sexy Beast watched it in one day yesterday. Um, and then F-Boy Island's coming out on the HBO at the end of the month. So I've just... I've been in a little blissful bubble over here, just enjoying my reality TV. I, I was talking with someone else about it, and they're like, how do you watch all that shit? And I was like, you know what? It makes my dating life feel actually not so bad. <laughs> I'm like, I complain. I complain to my friends about, like, not dating. But then I watch shows like that, and you like, I'm like, you know what? I'm not it's missing fine. out on much. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, it's, it's okay. Um, Sexy Beast, by the way, is... If you haven't seen the trailer, it's a show about people who get done up in like really good costume, like special effects. Oh, um, yeah, I saw the trailer. Yeah, and then they go on dates, but and like so, like it's bonkers. so it's like a blind date, right? It's like so a blind date, right? See what they look like. Exactly, the whole thing's supposed to be like, could you be in some into someone based purely on their personality, kind of like their show Love Is Blind, where you like literally don't see anyone, you just talk to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, I was all about it. I was like, oh, this is so weird. Like, sign me up. It, like, I watched all, I think there's only five or six episodes. I watched them all yesterday. But, honestly, after after episode two, you're kind of like, eh. Because it loses, like, the only thing crazy is the makeup. Like, the, the dates are very generic and boring. There's no, like, competition to it or, like, anything else like that. So, like, and it's not, like, the same people. Like, there's not, like, you know, they're not narrowing it down. It's, like, 
every episode's a different person and they start with three people down to two down to one and then like every time they eliminate someone they reveal what they actually look like um but like it's just it's just kind of generic so it's like once you get past the like kind of ooh the makeup like it's just like a very bland dating show i would say uh so i was all on board at first and then i, I like i mean I, I watched it all because that's just who i am but i was kind of like eh, like it was fine uh, i'm more excited for the non-special effects trash tv right now i'm stuck on love island well i'm caught up on love island too love island's daily because it's out in the uk and they it comes out every day except the weekends and i caught up so yeah that's what i've been I'm doing over here just shaking my head very yeah. ridiculous uh yeah i've definitely had opportunities to catch up the last month on some tv so and we'll get into it with a few of these people's credits but you know it's very much i used to pride myself on like watching all of the elite tv shows and like being very up on the shows and it's just not possible anymore no there there's too much so many streaming sites that are putting out so much like what you would call premium content with like a list celebrities there's no possible way you could even begin to step your foot into all the tv shows that are out there Mm-mm. i watched one so i try and pick a new show something that's interesting to watch when I night nurse because it helps me stay awake because I have to wake up every three hours in the middle of the night to feed Cora. And so it's helpful that I have something I'm interested in. So it motivates me to get out of bed. It's really hard and she's sleeping. So I wake her up. Um, And so it's really hard when my alarm goes off to be like, okay, got to get up, got it. And then I'm like, okay, but I want to finish that episode. So I watched Firefly Lane on Netflix, which mm-hmm. uh, I really enjoyed. Um, I think Katherine Heigl is an incredible actress and always delivers in her dramatic TV roles. And this didn't disappoint. I mean, it's a little like low budget cheesy in moments for sure, especially the stuff that takes place in the prior times. But you just, you know, it's not like an HBO like type show uh you just have to get past that but it's a really i really liked it excited for the second season um i watched trinkets which i had never heard of. oh i heard that was great Um, was super good it's two seasons that's it um i mean it's a teen show about these three girls who meet in shoplifters anonymous and one of the stars is actually the uh, the star of Fear Street, the movie we're covering today. So the girl who plays Dina is one of the stars in Trinkets. Um, it also stars the girl from Deadpool. Oh um, yeah, who plays Negasong at TJ Teenage Warhead. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's just very good. Quick watch, two seasons. Um, ben and I are watching Cobra Kai together. Um, we're almost done. We're on the third season. I think that's second. the newest one. We're on the, now I can't even remember. Have we watched two seasons? I don't know. Anywho, we're on whatever the latest season's on, either two or three. Um, and I know the next, yeah, we're on three. Because um, four is coming out on Netflix this uh, fall. So we're almost done with that also super good uh so we've just been powering through some tv 
um, catching up on some things that I either haven't gotten around to or, you know, didn't know existed because there's just such a plethora of television out there. It's insane. Um, I also watch Cruel Summer. Oh, yeah. um, all of that is out on Hulu now. Um, and one of the girl, the main girl in that is actually in part two of Fear Street. Yeah. Um, Jeanette. A, a, yeah. A small role, but uh, she's in there. Uh, so, yeah, it's just there's a lot of TV out there right now. Trash and not. And <laughs> it's it's uh, it's pretty great to be able to just turn on your TV and pick a streaming site and you can kind of just blindly pick and you're, you know, Ted Lasso season two comes out tomorrow. Like there's just yeah. so much out there. Oh, it's so it's really nuts. So yeah, I've definitely been on that, on that TV hype too. Um, yeah. Uh, so cool. We're going to dive into fear street, 1994, uh, which came out in 2021. Uh, not to yeah. confuse anyone. I know. Uh, uh, our synopsis is a circle of teenage friends accidentally encounter the ancient evil responsible for a series of brutal murders that have plagued their town for over 300 years. Welcome to Shady Side. Yep, so, July 2nd, 2021. This is our first movie that we're covering from this year. Oh, yeah. Um, and which is crazy. I know when I was typing it out, I automatically typed out 2020. I was like, no, it's not 2020. It's 2021. Like this year has disappeared for me for sure. Um, yeah. So it was supposed to, but this film was filmed in 2019. It was scheduled to be released in theaters, June, 2020 got pulled from the schedule. So these were originally intended to be theatrical releases. Um, and you can kind of tell when you watch them for sure. Uh, yeah, they're pretty high caliber. They're pretty high. These are, this is like big budget, like mm -hmm. high mainstream horror. This is mainstream horror, like at its core. Um, but in April of, uh, 2020, the, uh, Sharon or, Sharon entertainment, um, ended their distribution deal with Fox um, and made a deal with Netflix. So Netflix acquired the rights to the Fear Street trilogy in August. And here we are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they decided I, I do. I love that because, you know, a lot of times you're going to drop horror movies in October. But because of the feel of these movies, I love that Netflix decided to go with Summer of Fear um, and give us some summer release uh, horror, which is always like as much as I love get, getting, you know, the scary movies in October. I love me some non-seasonal like horror, you know, and I think it fits the tone of these movies more too. Oh, for sure. They fit. I mean, it's, yeah, they fit summer 100%. And yeah, there's something magical about going to the theater, like the dark theater in the you know, middle of summer. Like that's such a like nostalgic memory for me. So it's only fitting that. I mean, that's exactly what I did is, watch these we watched the first one ac blasting in the house escaping the heat to watch these you know freaking 100 degrees out right now yeah um don't know what the budget is uh as we often don't with a lot of these like streaming titles 
Um, so obviously don't have a box office because it was released to streaming. I would not be surprised seeing how successful these are if we start getting some one night um, theatrical releases. Um, Netflix has definitely been doing that with a lot of their stuff lately. I know Bo Burnham um, is special, just went to like theaters for a night. Um, so these, I think they could capitalize on this if they did it. I, but they did do like the premiere. Um, I had some friends attend the premiere. They did it like a drive-in style um and so i I, just massively like there was a pop-up um it it was received very very well i would not be surprised if we saw some sort of box office like not look i I don't think they're looking for like a box office intake just like i I wouldn't be surprised if we saw a theatrical eventually um because this yeah it definitely seems like they're going to push this for some more merchandising and stuff so wax waxwork records just um announced that they have soundtracks to all three movies which is no surprise after you watch this film like you you can tell that they have some sort of licensing agreement with all of the music that plays in this oh yeah Um, it's needle needle drops central yeah and so you for sure like you're instantly like okay so either they paid a lot of money to have all this music or they made some kind of deal which is exactly what happened so uh all three movies will have a released via waxwork uh and they have like vinyl and everything which looks really cool and the artwork is gorgeous on those um yeah, they were drawn all... mm-hmm. yeah in the style of the sort of fear street novels um and yeah they're beautifully done um i have the name of the artist i'll pull it up but so good love that so definitely wouldn't be surprised if we start seeing some fear street stuff to buy kind of yeah. like stranger things for sure oh yeah for sure. we actually had stranger things like you could buy it i you know i wouldn't be surprised if they do a physical release on these oh i wouldn't either yeah that'd be smart to do a set yeah um so, yeah we shall see very very well received has 83 percent rotten tomatoes the critics consensus reads fear street part one 1994 kicks off the trilogy in promising fa- promising fashion honoring the source material with plenty of retro slasher appeal um allison whitmore wilmore who um was writing for vulture described the film as a nasty effective slasher and noted similarities to 2014 horror film it follows but added janiac's film is saltier soapier and more pragmatic it has sequels to dole out after all and then uh lovia garrick of the hollywood reporter wrote while it probably won't have you triple checking the locks on your doors it's likely to keep you entertained enough to come back for more and added even if the conventions are familiar the film manages to excite thanks to an impressive array of young talent an appropriately suspenseful score and soundtrack and a heavy dose of 90s nostalgia yeah, I mean, I think that's just a perfect example of what I mean. That's what a slasher is. I mean, yeah. familiar conventions, but the whole point is, if you manage to make those familiar conventions entertaining, you have a successful slasher, and I think we see that for sure. Absolutely, yes, I agree with all of this stuff. Um, and like, I yeah, I think the '90s nostalgia is part of the reason it's doing so well because our generation is obviously like we're seeing. It's we. I mean, we as slasher fans already love like throwbacks to '80s, even though we didn't even grow up in that era. So to see a throwback to our era, we're like, oh my god! So I think that's a huge reason why, like, especially this one, really resonated with me. 
Well, yeah. I mean, and I mean, for me in 94, I mean, I don't remember 94. I was two years old, but it's close enough to my childhood in the 90s that I do recognize that even though I wasn't that age in 94 as our characters, like I can still be like, okay, but I remember when things looked like this. Right, right, right. I remember like this way of life. Yeah. I mean, I was six, so I also was not yeah. living like the high school life in the nineties, but right. like B, like B just said, like, uh, a hundred percent, this is like my snapshot of the nineties. When I think of like nineties fashion and nineties style and nineties aesthetic, like this movie's definitely nails it. For sure. Um, so the poster, the key art. So I will give, I have a lot more info when it comes to Netflix key art and uh, posters and the art that you see on the site uh, since I've had like a working relationship with them. Um, So that will definitely influence my thoughts on this for sure. So how they do it, or at least how they've done it in my experience, and I think that's the general is that they have a marketing team that works on the key art. So that's the poster we're going to talk about. And that's the poster that gets released to advertise the film. And then there's additional artwork that's created. And that's the art that you see within Netflix itself. Um, And so this is the marketing side of it. um, And this gets adapted to physical things. So you might see like a billboard with this art on it. Um, This is what any kind of like physical outside of the actual Netflix streaming site, this is the art that you're going to see. What's interesting about this one is because it is a trilogy, all three posters were created as sort of like a triptych, um, meaning that they were created to go together. Um, And so I think that hinders this poster by itself. But when you see it all together, it does, it it works a lot better. Um, So it's definitely got, so we have Dina uh, front and center, our final girl. Um, Everything's in like a purple, blue sort of neon look, which is, you know, definitely rocking the whole nostalgic like Stranger Things type vibes, um, which is probably what the, you know, marketing advisement was like they were my guess is that's what they were trying to push for sure on this um it looks very um like digital uh dina's actually got like some double exposure on her where it looks like she's a little out of focus maybe in some like old school like 3d glasses so all is like very filtered in effect like in effects Underneath there's the tagline, face the evil, and then it sort of fades into uh, a hallway, which at the end of it, we see one of our killers, and then it brings us down into Fear Street Part 1, 1994, a film trilogy event. To the left, and this is what I find interesting about this poster, is to the left we have our main killer in this movie, um, who's a little bit smaller, a little bit harder to read. Um, and that is our skull killer and then much larger and really highlighted and bright is 
the masked killer that we learn in this film is from um, Camp um, Nightwing and is the main killer for part two. It, when you're looking at this poster by itself, it's I don't love that because uh, the Nightwing killer is white, like his mask is so bright. It honestly is the first thing that I look at. Mm-hmm. Like when I look at this poster, that's instantly where my eye goes because it's the brightest thing on the poster. Um, and so that isn't my favorite, but when you see it all together, it does make more sense because he's brought into uh, the second poster and the movie he's from. But again, I will say like the color treatment of him does bring an abnormal amount of hierarchy to him in the whole poster series that I think is like the big flaw. But besides that, I think it's super cool. I think it's super showcasing the 90s vibes for sure. And I think it does a good job of then having a theme that can play into the other posters. So this one's really neon and bright. And then the next one is more of like the fire and instead of the the square, the rectangular element behind being like a neon bar, it looks like it's wood. So mm-hmm. it's very much more like the camp thing. And then again in uh, 1666, which I'll go into more when we cover those ones. But as a whole, it does work really well. Yeah, I think it definitely works better as like what what are the what would this a triptych is that what they're called? Yeah. Um, but like uh well especially because then like once you get into that you get you know the all the taglines line up and mm-hmm. um and everything. But but on its own I definitely see and like I see what it's doing and I agree with you, it does pull you to that that mass killer is the first thing I like naturally look at too. Um like the sack mass killer and then yeah. um I do like what they're doing here because like, I think, and I think they do a lot of this in the movie, which is like, this is a nineties throwback, but still heavy referential on 80 slasher style. And so like, I feel like we get both here. It's like that kind of late eighties, early nineties, you know, like still kind of video store vibe where neon, um, you know, like it feels like that, like that kind of later 80s but into the early 90s um like feel so i i i do like the the color and like the the this like neon rectangle thing in the background um because i just think they they did everything really smart of like that's i mean we'll get into it more but that's one of the things i really appreciated about this is like it's such a throwback to a 90s slasher which we don't get a lot of um we're starting to see it more uh because we've seen so many slashers take the model from the 80s because it was like obviously when the most amount of slashers were coming out um and i think this movie does a really good job of blending the two no i for sure agree and there's definitely some homages that we'll touch on that are very specific to um some 90s and and 80s horror movies um I think there's just a lot of care taken in this entire series to um, pay homage to Slashers of the Past and the Fear Street series. Yes. um, Which I really appreciate. Um, And the art was done. We don't always know this because this is a newer movie. 
um, and the joys of social media. Um, the artist is Chris. Uh, he goes by Chris uh, Tootaloo on his Instagram, and that is also his website. Um, he often works with Oog Creative, um, and he did the key art for the series. You can find him on Instagram. Uh and, you know, he's done a lot of, speaking of Cobra Kai, he did some of the artwork for Cobra Kai. So, so he works with, like, Netflix and a lot of people a lot and does some super cool stuff. So um, I definitely think he did a really good job. Yeah. And that's, I love that we can find that info. Just anytime, we can, anytime we can give those people those props. Yes. Um, our taglines are Face the Evil uh, and then three movies, three weeks, one killer story because they were released weekly for three weeks um and the face the evil does tag or does tie in to the taglines to the other movies um because it it goes face the evil find the truth and the curse so like they line up together but i think they also all go pretty well by themselves oh yeah they kind of speak to the theme of each film Mm -hmm. um and then work together as a whole which you know it's it is very much The nice thing about this, now that I've seen all three films, is that, and we won't spoil anything, so if you've only seen the first one, don't worry, we're not going to, like, let you know what happened. When we go into the synopsis and the killers and all that stuff, like, we won't go into other things we know because we've seen the other movies, just in case you've only seen this one. Um, But I will say that it does a really good job of working well as a movie on its own. But then once you watch the other films, the story that you get and how everything ties in together is so nice. Mm -hmm. And to like end the series and go like, Oh, okay. That was great. It's kind of like the best of both worlds for people like me who love television. And I love a long form story Um, which I often miss in films where I feel like I just, I'm wanting more time with those characters or I'm wanting more development on that plot. Or I'm like, Oh, they could have gone more places if this was in a longer format. You get that with this, which is really nice. Mm -hmm. I agree. Um, our director is, uh, Lee Janiak who did uh, honeymoon in 2014, which is a great little flick. If you haven't mm-hmm. seen it, I highly suggest it. Um, also directed two episodes of scream, the TV show, uh, which is very fitting because this, especially 1994 yes. feels a whole lot like scream. Yes, it does. And then, yes, she also directed all of the sequels. Yes. And, yeah. She did all three. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, which is nice to see. <laughs> yeah, no, I love that they just gave it to her and trusted her with it. And, and yeah. there's so much cohesion. And you, you sometimes you just don't, you, sometimes you take that stuff for granted. Um, It's like a weird, like, I'll meant, like, I, the last time, what was it? So haunting, uh, the haunting, haunting of Hill House and then haunting of Bly Manor. So Mike Flanagan directed all of haunting of Hill House. And then he only directed like one or two episodes of Bly Manor. And then it was taken over by different directors for every like couple episodes or whatever. And while I loved seeing different directors get the chance um, um, to direct, uh, like one of my main complaints with Bly was I could tell that it wasn't Flanagan the whole way through. And even though it wasn't like it wasn't like some huge, you know, 
change over to some different style tone aesthetic or whatever but like i could still just tell because directors carry you know a style with them and um i just really love that they well, gave that's her- hard with flanagan too like specifically with him Oh yeah, well he to go from his... something he's doing to then somebody else, you're gonna notice. Uh, yeah, and like um, I, I actually didn't I didn't know that when I watched Bly, and then like but I could tell something off. Oh, like literally, like episode yeah. three or four, I was like, "This isn't Flanagan," and I looked it up, and I was like, "Oh, it's not." And it was someone I liked. It's um, uh, it's um, Axel Carolyn who did like quite a few of the um, uh sabrina episodes and she's done like a couple different movies that i really like too but uh and so i i mean i like her as a director i really do um but i could just tell the difference different yeah yeah funny enough as i did start that show uh bly which i watched the first the whole first episode which i really liked but then i was in the middle of reading um riley sager's like haunted house movie or book Um, and which I literally just finished white home before dark. Um, it's like, why can't I I just finish the book like two days ago? Why can't I think of it? Um, and so I was like, wait, 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 I can't do like two haunted house type things on top of each other. I'm going to get so confused. Yeah. You'll get mixed up. I'll get so mixed up. So I had to put that up. But now that I finished that, I'm going to jump back into Bly. Um, Because I did really like the first episode a lot. I like Bly. I like Hill House more, but I I think, and I like Bly. Hill House I have to wait on because I just read the book like last year. And Mm -hmm. so, and I know it's super different. And so I need a little bit more separation between the, because it's going to be way too hard for me to enjoy it and not be constantly comparing it to the book. So I just need tad, maybe one more year of separation between me and the book. Not the the further it. away I am from Bly, the more I I like it because going into it, I expected it to be too much like Hill House, and so that mm-hmm. like skewed my vision on it. But um, I approaching it from a different lens has definitely helped. Um, our writers here are the amazing R.L. Stein, who the uh, obviously like the Fear Street books were written by. And um, if you don't know who R.L. Stein is uh, from Fear Street, you definitely probably know him from Goosebumps. Yes. Um, he is a very, very successful, famous, like, quote unquote, like children's author, um, children and teen books. And he's been writing horror now for three decades at this point, I think. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I love these. So much. He does not have these specific books, but they weren't this, these films were inspired by the Fear Street series in general. Yes. And there are, yeah, and there are some sort of character or like themes that were pulled from the series in general. Right. Um, Kyle Killen, Phil Graziade, uh, Lee Janiak uh, all helped with the story. They're all story by. And then um, Phil Graziade and Lee Janiak wrote the screenplay. And Phil and Lee also wrote the screenplay for Honeymoon. So they are a team. A team act. And then, yeah, so we're, I noticed this a lot. So we have another team act with the score. So we have three people credited. Um, we have Marco Beltrami, um, who did um, some really big, like, sort of action stuff. iRobot, World War Z, Blade Two, and then Love and Monsters. 
um, which is excellent. Uh, ben and I watched that recently. Oh, um, Dylan O'Brien forever, baby. Yeah. Ryan raved about it when he watched it on the podcast, um, I think last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan talked about how great it was. Ben and I finally got around to watching it um, a few months back. Um, I w- Honestly, we might have talked about it on the podcast, one of those last episodes. I feel like we did on um, one of the last ones we recorded. But we'll say this again, Ryan. I love that movie. It's very good. Um, and this scoring team did the score for that. So um, Anna Drubik uh did scary stories to tell in the dark and then i thought it was funny so she did masha's spooky stories and masha is from is a tv show masha and the bear which is like a children's a very young like under seven children's tv show um so i just thought that was really funny that she specifically scored the spooky version of masha and the bear love it <laughs> And then Werewolves Within, um, which just came out, uh, what, a couple weeks ago? Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I rented it. It was very good. Super, super funny. Uh, Did you watch it, Ray? Oh, yeah. I loved it. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I mean, Josh Rubin is just on the rise. Yeah. I encourage you to check out his other movie. called. It's called Scare Me on um, Shudder. And and Josh is also – I had the – I was fortunate enough to get to interview him. And he's just – He's a very, very delightful human being. So I love being able to support him. And I had a blast with Werewolves Within. Yeah, um, you good. S- we loved it. You skipped Beltrami's most important score. <laughs> he did, did I? scream. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, that's IMDb's fault because he's known for and Scream did not come up. That's wild. And, and I yeah, didn't he... fully dive into his stuff. That is nice. Yeah. Yeah, he did scream. Um, yeah, uh, I'm pretty sure he's done all four. I want to say he's done all four. Uh, I want to say he's done all five. Why didn't it come up on IMDb? Yeah, I don't know. Like, that's super bizarre. Like, when I saw it, I thought you, like, so be creative for those of you listening um, who haven't, like, like don't or new um b does a document that she makes that um for every episode that we follow along to and um i thought like on the doc i thought yeah, he you... did scream for yeah he did yeah, all, so he all, must all, have done all of them. yeah yeah um so oh, he's that's done a million lot. things the faculty yeah, i, I yeah. thought you were leaving him off on purpose to be like and scream and i was like oh yeah uh he, no he's a big i mean faculty he's yeah. a williamson guy like him and yeah. Williamson, i think are just friends at this point so um, and I, th- I really thought he did the new scream, but it's not popping up on here. So maybe he no, didn't. He did quiet place, Logan. I mean, literally a million things. So I saw how many 142 credits and I was like, I'm just yeah. going to do what he's known for. And yeah. then of course, it's, it's weird scream. that scream wasn't one of Rude. those though, because it's very like, I mean, that's a huge horror movie. I think, come on, scream before world war Z nope. played too. Well, also he's known for on IMDb knowing Oh, come that on. Two, the, yeah. That, that Nick Cage movie? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Which Weird. I didn't include because I'm like, nobody likes that movie. Nobody even knows what that movie is. Mm-hmm. Funny, uh, funny. Yeah. Uh, we, we Our cinematographer is Caleb Heyman, who did Stranger Things Season 4, which is not out yet. Um, but soon? This year? Yeah, it's got to be this year. I mean, um, I hope. 
Yeah, and then also did the Mortuary Collection, which you can find over on Shudder. Um, if you have not seen that movie yet, I would also highly, highly encourage it, especially if you are a fan of anthologies, because it is a very, very good anthology. Um, and uh, again, Ryan Spindle, the director, is a uh, really awesome human, so go support him. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I definitely did not know that existed, and it's now on my list. Check that oh, out this weekend. I, I had a blast with it. I thought it was super fun, and it's very like retro aesthetic, which I super dig. All right, so our editor, we have a female editor, so he's exciting. Um, Rachel Goodlet Katz. Uh, I had to put this in there. She was in the editorial department for Garden State. That was like sweet Garden State. Yeah. Garden State was definitely one of those movies I watched in high school that made me realize that I loved movies. You know those movies that get you into film? Garden State was definitely one of those. And music, for sure. Um, I 100% went and bought that soundtrack on CD. Um, And uh, lots of TV. So Walking Dead, Carrie Diaries, The OG Gossip Girl, um, and quite a few other credits, for sure. I'm very happy we have two Gossip Girl references in this episode. That's right. Um, our cast is, uh, B mentioned her a little earlier, but we have um, Kiana Madera as Dina, who was in Trinkets as Mo, and then the Sacred Lies horror TV show. So she's a little bit of a genre. Um, she'll probably actually, I think she's going to stick in some genre stuff after this too. Yeah, and it looks like upcoming, she's in those like, teen movies after i fall i guess there's like two sequels i saw like she was credited in like two of those i haven't i mean i would have been all i know of them yeah i would have been all over those 10 years ago but i don't quite dedicate my time to those anymore but this one's about like angels right i don't know i don't know maybe or like i didn't know if it was like sick lit or something which i'm not about so who knows yeah, I don't know either. It sounds but I like did it... see she was credited with those upcoming, which I think are pretty pretty big in the, the YA world right now. Right. Um, Olivia Scott Welch plays Samantha Frazier. Um, she was in 2019's Unbelievable, which was that miniseries. Um, I've talked about it on the show. Really hard to watch, but really incredible. And when we talk about like premiere TV, that's definitely it. Highly recommend you watch it. Um, it's on Netflix. Uh, Modern Family. Um, and then, again, we're going to Panic, which is an Amazon TV show from this year. I mean, I can't keep up. The I Sacred loved Lies, Panic. Did you watch that? Yeah, yeah Sacred I Lies really looks Panic. really good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also didn't know that existed. And I was like, oh, this show looks cool. What is this? Um, you know, it's got, got a great cast. What's it called? Sacred Lies? I haven't even heard of that one. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm pretty Um, on top of this stuff. Storyline, a teenager with no hands is suspected of knowing who killed her cult's leader and lands in juvenile detention. Oh, wow. A mysterious cult, two dead bodies. She survived right up my alley. Oh, and Kiana's in it. And she's and yeah. oh, it's also that Jordan Alexander from Gossip Girl, the new Gossip and, Girl. Okay. And Ryan Quantin from True Blood. True Blood. There we go. Yeah. All right. I can get yeah, down with that. So, um, Panic's a lot of fun. Right. Pa- Panic is like um, 
like small town like teen drama like your your basic small town teen drama but mixed with like hunger games which is pretty dope mm. all right um yeah and it doesn't get like too unbelievable it's basically like this town that has nothing else to do which b and i always resonate with because we grew up in one of those towns um like the the kids just want nothing more than to get out of that damn town so they hold these like secret games like the seniors it's basically like a giant game of truth or dare and it gets more and more dangerous and the winner gets like um you know a prize so yeah uh benjamin flores jr is josh who was in room of the world from 2019 uh the showtime show your honor uh i didn't see room of the world but i remember it coming out yeah it's um, good i also think that's a netflix thing it is yeah and then yeah. your honor is the one with brian cranston uh -huh. on showtime um and then the haunted halloways which i never watched but i that's a disney show like right a nick i think one okay yeah or uh, maybe it's disney i'm pretty sure it's nickelodeon sure i'm making Whatever. that decision based on the art that i saw um it more horror nickelodeon yes horror-ish at least exactly um and then we round out our cast so we have um julia raywald as kate um fred hetchinger as simon who is trevor in eighth grade and ethan in uh the woman in the window which is another netflix original um ashley zuckerman as nick good um daryl Britt gibson as martin who's in barry i love him and barry Mm. Also, if you're not watching Barry, watch Barry. It's so good. Um, he was in Three Billboards. He was in Keanu. So I was actually really surprised. He has a small role in this one, but he pops up again. Um, and when I saw him, I instantly, I'm like, I know this guy. Like, And I was like, yes, it's from Barry. Um, Maya Hawk, who uh, I love this. So she's Robin in Stranger Things. Um, and then... She was Joe in the um, little, the newest Little Women movie, um, but she definitely plays our sort of famous mm -hmm. intro girl, which I love. She's our so Drew much. Barrymore, yeah. Jada Pinkett, yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. I love that. Yeah, it's so it's and like you know, getting to be Joe and Little Women that was definitely a massive role, but then also coming in to Stranger Things. Um, I think everybody fell in love with her as Robin, like kind of instantly. And so it was super fun. I didn't recognize her at first. I didn't then, either. I yeah. Especially because, you know, she's all, um, which is funny because, you know, she's 80s out for Stranger Things, but she's a very different look in this. Um, but as soon as I heard her talk, I'm like, oh my God, it's Robin. Mm -hmm. Um and then Jordana Spiro as Mrs. Lane, Jordan Natal as Ruby Lane, Charlene Amoria as um, Rachel Thompson, David W. Thompson as Ryan Torres, Jeremy Ford as Peter, Elizabeth Scopel as Sarah Fear, and then, of course, Ms. Uh, Jillian Jacobs as C. Berman, um, which we all know her from Community. And then um, the Netflix show Love. Yeah, I really like that show. Yeah. <laughs> I really like both those shows, but I, yeah. I mean, I like her a lot. I love Community, and I um, Judd Apatow did Love, and I'm a yeah. big Apatow fan. I, lo I loved Love. Um, I saw her. She 
Busy Phillips had her as a guest in her sketch fest. So I've seen Busy Phillips live twice. Um, she does like this sketch fest thing in San Francisco. Um, and the second time I saw her, she had uh, Jillian on as a guest and they're like super good friends. And she just seems like a fascinating person mm-hmm. um, in general. Like she's been, she's sober, but like her whole life, it's just never been something like she's never had a sip of alcohol. Like I just find people like that super fascinating who are just so just their own people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. She just seems like a really cool person. And I love all the roles she picks. Uh, yes, I always love when she pick like pops up in anything. I was very happy at the end when it was her. I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. Like, I love being able to see her in this. Yeah. And then fun fact, too, uh, David Thompson is in Panic. Um, oh, there we go. With with uh, Olivia Scott Welch. So there's a like a Panic connection there. Um, our genre here um, is, slash subgenre is uh, Supernatural slasher. And then also, I would say, Teen Scream. Oh, yeah. Teen Scream for sure. Yeah. Um, and then our killer, we, it's a lot. <laughs> um, so I, so, mean, was, yeah. I was um, just say I'll preface this again yeah. with saying, this is the information we have from the first film. So, oh, okay. yes. yeah. So, so I mean, so, okay. Let me backtrack here. I mean, basically the information we have from the first film is what we know is, that our killer, there are multiple killers, and that Sarah Fear, ha- the curse of Sarah Fear has something to do with why these multiple killers exist in Shadyside. Yes. So we know, what we know is that they are possessed, mm-hmm. um, and that they uh, killed because of the curse in the past, and when sam's blood drips on the bones of sarah it gets these killers to come after her um and they won't stop until she's dead and so we have these killers coming after her yeah Um, and we know our skull face killer is ryan um, yes. It's revealed in the very first scene of the movie, and we know Ruby Lane is because she is kind of this folklore, very like prevalent, um, like urban legend. Not even urban legend; she's a real person. Then, like, yeah. just like her story has become very notorious throughout the shady side. And at this point, we don't know who our burlap sack killer is. Yeah. So all we know is from what Josh has researched about the history of all of these just ridiculously terrible things that keep happening in Shadyside. Um, and he believes it's because of Sarah fear. And then all of a sudden, all these people start coming after him and he's like, I knew it. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I love his character too. And I just yeah, love the, right. ob- the obsessiveness and like, that's totally, that's totally what the true crime slash horror nerds are totally like. So, yep. uh-huh. um, yeah, we don't have a super big iconic weapon. Um, I guess our skull face is using a knife. Yes. So it's like uh, dependent on the killer. Yeah. 
the axe seems like the most heavy-handed. Well, like, because Ruby Lane uses, like, a switchblade, too, essentially, right? Right, which is very themed to her. Um, so she uses, like, a like a shaving. I think it's a shaving knife. Yeah, yeah, it's a straight razor. Right? Yeah, a straight yeah. razor. Um, and then, yeah, our skull face killer. So there are iconic weapons. They're just very, they're specific to each killer, and we have multiple killers. So she's got the straight razor, our skull... Mass killer has the knife. He's very much like he's basically Ghostface. Yeah, he's our um, Ghostface surrogate. Here. Yeah, and then we have our Jason surrogate, who is our mm-hmm. burlap sack killer, and he's got his axe. It's also a prominent weapon of Jason. Um, and then we have, let's see, I'm trying to think the other killers that pop up, what their weapons are. That we only see them in flashbacks in this one. Um, cause we, so it's mostly, yeah, we just see the flashbacks. And the only ones we see in the present day are the skull face, the axe, or the burlap, and then Ruby. And I love that Ruby, like, even though they're all obviously supernatural, Ruby feels a little more supernatural because of her whole, like, she sings a song while she's tracking you down. Um, her, like, don't they all show up at the school though? The three of them do. Is it just the three of them? Yeah, it's just the three. Because remember, okay. there's a part where they're going to the bathroom and they have them down each hallway. Um, they mention more because when Josh is going over the research, the he, history, there's yeah. flashbacks. Yeah. Um, and then we see a little bit more of, I think, two of them in the next one. Um, but yeah, in this one, it's just mainly it's just those, those three. Those three. Yeah. Um, and yeah, but I, I enjoyed the... Because Ru- Ruby is also like... The most far removed time-wise because she's from like the 50s like you can tell they're going for right. like a greaser sort of thing um so she just like the whole time feels very ghostly and supernatural to me where the other two feel a little more like ryan you know is dead for a day or whatever and then right um our burlap sack killer is from the 80s so it just feels like a little or the 70s i guess right yeah, yeah the 70s uh, 78 yeah so uh i i, I like that Again, they're able to do this thing where they're making callbacks to all these things, but they all feel like their own thing still. Like we have our 90s callback, we have our 80s callback, even though it's from the 70s, but it's like an 80s callback. And then we have like our 50s callback, so it's cool. Yeah, it would be really cool to have, I'm trying to think, we don't really have any slashers that are sort of set in the 50s. That'd be super cool to have one. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's something out there we can find, but well, for sure. But there's definitely none that have. I guess I mean, even more so ones that like go back to the 50s, like Mm -hmm. like this, where it's like going back to the 90s. It'd be fun to see a movie that like plays up the the nostalgia of the 50s. Oh yeah, it's a that's a perfect era for for that too. Yeah, because. I, that was the era, you know, I think of like um, Blast from the Past and um, what was that movie with Tobey Maguire and Reese Witherspoon? Oh, Pleasantville. Pleasantville. Yeah. Um, and like we had that Leave it to Beaver remake. The 90s, all of the like throwback movies we watch were all from the 50s and 60s because that's where when our parents grew up. Yeah. And so – then by proxy, I feel like I have nostalgia for that time period just because there were so many shows 
and movies paying homage to that time period when we were kids and like American Dreams, that TV show. There were so many things set in that time period. And now it's all about like the 80s and 90s because obviously we're the market. And so I would love to I would love to see that make that happen. Netflix. Yeah, I'm I'm down with that. Of Ruby Lane, like movie would be super cool. All, yeah. all of these guys could take that yeah. spinoff too. No, for They're sure. Great. Um, so our final girl boy situation. So we end up at the end of this film. We have Dina being like Dina and Josh. Dina for sure being our true final girl, and then mm. Josh too, though for sure. Um plays into some of those tropes, especially with his sort of research. Um, they, they kind of do the, the scenario where they're, they're splitting, where we're getting one final girl, like the arcs and stereo types of a final girl. And they're kind of being split between the two characters, I feel like. Mm-hmm. So we have the sort of like, strong like fighting just going into head first into everything in Dina and then we have the more like timid I'm going to research everything and figure out what's going on and Josh and they just have those separated between the two characters and then Samantha kind of survives so she dies and then survives um, cause she's brought back to life and ends up being a final girl, but then also ends up possessed at the end. So, yeah. um, she doesn't, although she lives unlike all the other characters we're following in this film, she doesn't fit any of those scenarios. It's really just Dina and Josh who are our final boy and girl. Yeah. And Dina, I feel like they do give Dina and Josh both separately their own. They both kind of like overcome and get courageous um like that even though they're given separate traits like yeah um like i really enjoy josh's arc with um the best friend uh was it kate i think yeah Mm -hmm. um yeah yeah, like i enjoyed that whole arc so i thought they did a really good job there well yeah and then dina has to sort of overcome the more emotional side of it she can't just be so hardened and be like, well, we're cursed because we're shady ciders and screw anybody from Sunnyvale. She can't really do that when the person she loves is in Sunnyvale and is at risk. And so we see her arc play of like the more emotional maturity side of things. Yep. Um, what's her kill count here? Three, so, four, yeah, it's hard. So I think... Like 10-ish? Yeah, so... They might say in the film, and I didn't. Somebody shouted out to us if if you heard it, and I just missed it. But because at the vigil, they might say how many. Um, yeah, I think people they they're honoring. I think they Maybe. might say it, but on when you're watching the film, you can see three bodies when Heather is being chased. Um, so three ish, um, and then. Heather and then Ryan. So, I mean, that'd be five people that they were honoring at the vigil. That's very likely. Um, right. So we'll say three mall victims that we don't know that were killed off screen. Um, so our opening scene opens up. We have um, a mall, which is very 90s, um, 
Heather's working at like a bookstore and uh, Ryan is working at sort of a like Spencer's like hot a Spencer's topic. hot topic type place. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they're just waiting to get off and close up and we have very much like you know what's this noise something's going on and the do the phone the phone lines go dead don't they yeah um she's on the phone like she hangs up it's great because there's the needle drop we get closer by nin which is wonderful Uh, and then she gets a call from Ryan and then the phone drops dead. So it's like, she knows obviously they work in the mall. His store is like across the plaza yeah. from her. So she goes to check and he scares her. Um, it's like our classic jump scare with his blow up doll. Um, yeah. And then we like get into the like actual, we realize there's also someone else in the mall um because she, like she goes back to finish up closing and then um yeah she ends up getting chased by this like she sees these dead bodies and sees there's this person running around and like it looks so much like ghostface's outfit it's got the like the cow with the kind of like droopy arms um but it's wearing a skull it's a skull face and um we get this whole i love the scene because we get this whole like she's running through the mall and like hiding in various stores um and growing up as a like you know again just that 90s feel of the of the mall um like i i i i weirdly love mall horror and there's not like a lot of it but like chopping mall and phantom of the mall are two of my favorites um because i think that the setup is i the weirdness especially of a 90s era mall in the 80s the just like the stores that were in them provides so much different backdrops and scenarios that I think it's a lot of fun to play around with. Um, and so, yeah, we get her running around um, before. Uh, and she puts up a good fight, you know? Um, yeah. Like, well, usually, like. I swear to you, this girl studied Drew in Scream. Oh, yeah. Because just even, like, and I mean, it's shot. I mean, it's a clear, direct homage to Casey's kill and Scream. The way that she's running, the way that she whips her head back when she stabbed, like it's all like, even if you didn't know, if you've seen that opening scene of Scream a few times, like if you then were told, you'd be like, yeah, no, okay, that does feel just like that. It's like clear cut, just like that kill. Yeah. And this whole opening scene is clearly an homage to Scream um, from from the way it feels like Casey to the, to the phone, uh, like the yes. phone stuff, um, to the actual the killer. sound of the phone. Oh yeah. And yeah, even the ring, then, I mean, oh yeah. And then even when she finally is killed, the entire scene where she's being stabbed and rips the mask off yeah. all straight from scream. Yeah. The, the big difference here is we see who the killer is and it's Ryan. Right. Um, and you know, like even when this happens, we can see that he's not himself um like obviously there's something ryan that we just saw five minutes earlier in the movie right um and then you know he is shot and killed after after killing her um she does die too um and then he's shot in the head and killed by the the sheriff and then that kind of kicks us into the full like um like just like all the other 90s classic slashers like we get our first kill and now we're gonna meet our actual main killer uh main characters 
Right. So, yeah. Um, before that happens, Ryan is shot by a mall cop. And then we jump into, like, okay, another horrible thing at Shady Side. Let's go to high school and, you know, figure out who we have to be worried about next, basically. Right. Um, and then, like, this is where we get the history of, like, Shadyside has always had things like this happening. It's, like, a cycle where, like, these horrible tragedies will occur. And that's, like we mentioned, our character Josh, who is Dina's younger brother, is, like, obsessed with this, like, history of Shadyside. And he's, like, tra- basically tracking it. He has, like, you know, a wall, like, um, uh, just dedicated to figuring out and, like, tracking connections and, like, trying to figure out, like, why these people did what they did and, like, why is it always shady side when Sunnyvale is, like, right next door and nothing bad ever happens there. Um, and then, you know, while we're kind of figuring out that backstory, we also dig deeper and we, we like, discover that Dina, um, her, uh, like they do a psych out at the beginning because her, her, her girlfriend's her ex her ex's name is sam and they do this whole thing where they have to go to the memorial which means sunnyvale has to be with shady side and she like doesn't want to go because that means she has to see sam and they do i think there was a good like fake out here where they like you know she looks over and she sees this guy and he's like kissing this girl and grabbing her butt and then, then like we um learn that it's not the guy that was her ex it's sam and then um thank god we get some like i love seeing the lesbian representation here it's just great to have two like completely gay protagonists in this movie yeah it's not something that i mean it seems between the the films the shows like that i've been watching in the last couple of years, now it seems like the norm. And it's funny how how easily like it, it just fits in. We're like, well, yeah, of course. Like it doesn't even phase me anymore, which is awesome. But like you separate like the last year or two, like there's nothing. And yeah. it's it's so nice to see that it is becoming sort of like a well, yeah, okay, that's not a big deal. Like, that just seems like a normal thing to see in a TV show or a movie and not so shocking. Yep. And it, or feel like tokenism, which it yes. doesn't feel like at all. It just feels like that just happens to be who the main characters of this movie are, which I appreciate. Right. Yeah. No, it's great. And it's also just like, it's really important to get that representation out there. Um, and oh, for so, sure. No, yeah. there's definitely, there's a movie that I, has come out i'm I'm not gonna say what it is but it they for sure like shove a like gay storyline where you're like okay cool and it's like a teen movie and it comes out of nowhere and then those characters disappear and you just feel like wow that was that's not what we want like it definitely just felt like oh we're gonna do the right thing and and put like you know two gay characters in this movie and then, but that's okay. We're not going to give them any plot or any character development or nothing. They're just going to pop up for five minutes in this two and a half hour movie and disappear. And mm-hmm. it's like, no, no, no. And so it's so nice to not see that. Yeah. And, and it's great too because. Like characters. Yeah. And it's great too because like there's, I mean, Sam is closeted. Uh, Dina is not. And like they, the, these two actresses have amazing chemistry together. Mm-hmm. Like they. 
I like as good as they are when they're like into each other. I also love how good they are when they're mad at each other because it feels like such a real relationship. Um, and so that like that was something I really like about it too. Um, yeah, and this is like where we're kind of meeting all of our main characters uh, because we we know about this like rivalry between Shady Side and Sunnyvale. We've met uh, Dina's two best friends uh, are Simon and Kate. Like um, Simon's this kind of like goofball guy, and then Kate is the cheerleader, like the head cheerleader, um, and they are like they're selling drugs on the side, like uh, pills, pretty much. Um, and. So, like, we meet them, we meet Josh, we've met Sam, so now we kind of have, like, our main cast. Um, and then uh, there's this fight that breaks out, and it causes, you know, the rivalry to spike even more. And this is what leads into our central, like, um, uh, conflict in the movie, because uh, Sunnyvale, like, the, like the Sam's new boyfriend decides to, like, chase the sunny uh, Shadyside uh, bus back to Shadyside. And... Um, Dina's just like sick of it at this point. So she throws um she throws like a cooler out of the window basically and it or out of the back of the bus and it causes Sam and her boyfriend to crash um like in the woods like basically almost between the two towns and you know they pull over to go help them and this is where Sam um bleeds onto what we find out eventually is uh Seraphir's bones. Um, and this is like, it's, it's kind of what wakes her up. And it's also, um, a little bit like what makes it so Sam is now being tracked by these, um, by these cursed killers of Shadyside. Peter. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Peter. Yeah. Who's driving a very nice E30 in beautiful condition that. Today, if he had that car that looks like that, that car is worth so much money. It's ridiculous. I will Anyhow. take your word for it. <laughs> That's what Ben has. Oh, okay. Gotcha. It's the same. Yeah. So my husband has an E30 that he's in the process of fixing up. And you can't even, yeah, it's a whole thing if anybody's into cars, but you can't even find the parts in that car. It's like a 1987, and to find one, like, in terrible condition that's not running, you have to pay, like, six, seven grand for it. You want the, like, premium version of it, which in BMW is, like, the M series, $100,000. Oh, my goodness gracious. Yeah, E30s are all about. So when I saw that, I was like damn, they're going to crash an E30 for this movie? Like, that's an expensive car. It's probably, like, the, the whatever it's called like not the actual e30 e30 but they you know when they take the plaster or whatever the yeah i don't know what it's called the frame the body um and like recreate the body and put it over something else because for people like ben that would be a no like a nod to be like oh that guy's like comes from money no exactly you can look at that and be like okay yeah that's a brand new bmw it's like super expensive that's the rich kid for sure yeah Anyhow. <laughs> Anywho. Um, so they go to the hospital, make sure that Sam's okay. And Sam and uh, Dina get into a huge fight again. And uh, and then while they're like fighting, that is when Peter gets uh, murdered. Um, and, and he's killed by... Is he killed by the school mass killer? 
Yes. Yeah. The ones in yeah. the hospital. Are. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. It, and, um, it's kind of like this great scene where like Sam and Dean are fighting and like the, he's between them at like the edge of the bed and they're just fighting back and forth. Um, and then we just hear, you know, the gutting noise and, you know, tur- they both turn to look at him and he, like, he's, you know, he's dead. Uh, and right, so and they're, they thought it was him. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. um, Sam thought it was him. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, wait, you know, nobody wants to believe, especially Dina, that it's a curse and that it's something supernatural. They want to pinpoint it on somebody. Mm-hmm. But they can't. Uh, um, yeah. And Dina's like very against this whole curse idea, even though Josh is like trying to tell her the whole time. Like he, at first it's like, he's like, I think this is what it is. And then eventually it turns into like, he definitely knows, but like they are, um, not so keen to buy into the idea that like, there's this supernatural killer, um, in, in their town. Um, they get out of the hospital, like rush out of the hospital. It's still um, an ambulance. Yeah, they steal an ambulance, um, and then like they they like realize that they disturbed the grave of Sarah Fear, um, and that the like the killers are are looking for Sam in particular, um, and then using all of they go back to Dean and Josh's house because he has this whole like you know clip not clipboard but like this corkboard situation of all the shady side killings. Um, and they do discover that there was one survivor from the 1978 massacre that C Berman, um, who died, but was resuscitated. And so like their plan is to, they realize like, okay, someone has gone through this and survived it. So like, we need to figure out what the, like what they did and like how, like what we can do to combat this. Um, and so they call C Berman, they get no answer. And so they decide they come up with their own plan to kill Sam um, using the pills that... Uh, the pills. Yeah, using the pills that... Um, what's What are, what are their names? Um, Kate, Simon and Simon. Kate. So. Yeah. Yeah. But they uh, this is um, like... They, they come up with this plan after they try to kill... Because at first they want to try to kill the killers. Um, and they do. And it yeah, work. and... It doesn't work. They realize that the killers are attracted to Sam's blood. So, like, they come up with this very, like, clever, you know, they all smear themselves in Sam's blood, and they, tr- they like, lure the killers. Like, they're, like, they they realize the killers aren't interested to anything but Sam's blood. And so they, like, um, they lure the killers to the high school. Um, and this is also where, you know, Josh gets to kiss Kate. Um, and, and, um... What was up with, were Josh and Kate together or was, or I mean, was Simon and Kate together or were they just like weird best friends? Like, I, so yeah, I was confused by the whole like romantic plot line of this one. It didn't seem as clear to me. I thought they were together and then I was yeah. very confused when like Josh and Kate were like doing their thing i'm like but wait are they in like an open relationship is she not with simon is she just like being nice to josh because they're being like that's what i felt like most of the movie is that she was just being nice to him and like kind of playing with him because he was younger 
Yeah. But like, I feel I like kinda, most people didn't read it that way. Like I almost I, read it by the end I almost read it like Simon and Kate like are friends that hook up sometimes for funsies. Um and like because he like when he hears that Josh and Kate kiss, he like doesn't even care. Yeah. Like he which was nice, actually. I thought we were gonna have to deal with like jealous beats or anything um but it was he was just like super stoked for him he's like all right that a kid and then but then the whole part when they do get to the supermarket like you know he's like you got to do this for her um like we got to do this for her so he obviously has like i i i almost feel like they were just like best friends um because now like thinking about it it's like they they don't have any romantic inclinations at all yeah so um but yeah i I wasn't i think i just didn't really pay that much attention to their relationship and just made an assumption and then well well, simon's just like goofing around the whole time yeah um he's definitely like our goofball character um yeah so they lure all the killers there and they manage to like light them on fire and essentially blow them up and this is when we realize that they are very much way too supernatural to for that to even impact them because with their body pieces coming together with goo yeah, they start gooing together, um, and they're like, And this well, is shit, how gotta... I could tell that this was a movie that was not originally produced on Netflix. I mean, I shouldn't say that. Netflix has some, like, crazy high-budget films that they – but I was like, holy shit, the special effects in this are really, really good. And right. this money – I guess I should say this is when I realized that this was a high-production film even more so than the needle drops and the casting and everything before that when i started seeing all these really heavy special effects that were super good i was like damn okay like they really weren't like i just wasn't expecting that i was expecting them not to go there at all because of how costly that type of stuff is right i just and Uh then when they started coming together as goo i was insanely surprised pleasantly right because it could have been something that's done off screen too yeah. like these guys just won't die but they decided yeah. to show you like no they or they like just rise themselves back together Which is usually yeah. what happens in slashers is they just stand right back up <laughs> right uh yeah so they developed this plan now to go to the supermarket and they're just like because uh simon's brother also uh, od'd at one point and they resuscitated him so they're going to do the same thing to sam so they're going to o- make it so she ods um and then they'll resuscitate her and hopefully her dying will end the curse and then they'll resuscitate her so that she i mean like they're trying to trick the curse essentially um and so while this is happening in the supermarket the the killers show up and so the three um Dina stays with Sam, but uh, Josh, Kate, and Simon are kind of all luring the killers in different directions. Um, so um, uh, Josh is, or Simon is definitely confronted by Ruby. Um, and then Josh is being chased by our burlap sack killer. And then Sam is, the, or uh, Kate is dealing with our school face killer. Um, and they're, um they're all in like separate parts of the supermarket and <laughs> holy shit so like 
they're they're doing their best to fend these guys off and you know um sam is like throwing the pills up it's not like she's basically she's just getting sick she's not dying and so they realize they have to come up with another plan and dina is like going to try to drown her but while this is happening uh all our side characters are fighting all the killers i was blown away <laughs> i honestly thought that kate might live and when she dies it's shocking but it's not just the fact that she dies it is the way that they kill her um because the school face man puts her head through a bread slicer and it again like b was talking about when you're impressed by like oh oh it went there and like this effects budget was nothing to like laugh at they showed it and it is gnarly as shit like the whole thing i mean yeah the whole movie is like bloodier than like you know like like it's you know bloodier than like your can't standard teen scream i think when um, i turned it on i was like ben do you want to watch it and he's like what is it i'm like oh, it's like a it's fear street it's like a goosebumps movie and he's like i'm like it's a goosebumps slasher he's like yeah okay and then like i don't know i swear every 10 minutes he's like this is goosebumps this is goosebumps. <laughs> I'm like, ah, it's it's Fear Street, you know. It's like their teenage stuff. It's and teenage I, goosebumps. It's teenage goosebumps, and I love. I like instantly on Twitter, like why we were watching it. So like, Arl Stein tweet and say, while my Fear Street novels are PG and for teenagers, the movies are not. Yep, you had to clarify because. You had to clarify. Uh, because people yeah, kept like complaining to him that they're like, I watch this with my 12-year-old. Like, do not watch this with your 12-year-old. I mean, do, but also know what you're getting into. Yeah, it, yeah exactly. Uh, it's it, it, The whole movie has more, it just feels more adult than like your yeah. standard teen screen that you see. And then like this, though, is really when you're like, whoa. Like, they really, it's very, it, very impressive, like just super great like you know special effects kill that we get um you know throwback a little bit to like nightmare uh intruder kills Mm -hmm. yeah so yeah it's an homage to intruder it's a supermarket kill and in intruder it's the meat saw that his head gets shoved into and here we have the bread maker yep um it is it's it's great and then Tina is still trying to kill Sam by drowning her. Um, and unfortunately, not only does uh, Kate bite the dust, but our boy Simon um, does his best to fend off, uh, help Josh fend off the burlap sack killer, but he takes an axe straight to the head. Um, and I've got, again, I got to say, like, the way they built these characters up and the way they made it this far in the movie, like, I, I really actually thought they were all going to survive. Um so I was pretty shocked when they ended up killing both of them. Yeah, like like, I, like when Kate died, especially I was like, oh damn, like they killed, like they actually killed her. Um, that's like wild. But then when Simon died too, I was like, oh, like yeah, they're going like real. I don't know. Like, I, I just there were so many moments where I had to like, it was like took a minute for it to sink in that this was like a real brutal, like true slasher, and not just like you know you see the Fear Street thing and you like wonder like how 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 hardcore is it going to go and then it's just like it went fully all the way it's like no we're killing everyone except you know like our final girl and boy yeah definitely with kate it wasn't even more so like her character 
like I wasn't necessarily phased by that, like not thinking that they would kill her, but I just know part of me thought I thought that was a fake out. There was no part of me mm-hmm. that expected her head to go through that that bread slicer. I nope. was like, okay, they stop. And I'm like, yeah, it's going to stop. It's going to, like, Kate's going to die and the killers are going to disappear. And that's just was my full expectation. And then when her, I think I gasped, I think you literally gasped oh, when her yeah. head got pushed through it. Cause I yeah. just, cause gasped. you think they're going to do the thing where like her head gets this close yeah. and then, and yeah. then Sam dies and everything yeah. disappears, right? No, that's exactly what I thought was going to happen. It's not what happened. And then I thought they were going to freaking kill Josh. And I was mm-hmm. like, you can't kill him. That's a, that's no, that's not allowed. That's like killing Randy. You can't do that. Not yet. Not yet. Exactly. <laughs> not yeah. yet. Uh, uh, well, and also Josh, I feel like still feels like a child almost. So no, like, exactly. I was like, you yeah. can't kill the baby. It's not allowed. <laughs> um, so they do, unfortunately, after Simon and Kate die, they do manage uh, Dina, like, drowns Sam and then does resuscitate her uh, using EpiPens and CPR. Um, the police blame it all on Simon and Kate. They spend the story of, like, you know, they were drug dealers and they, like, you know, they just, they need to put the blame on someone because they can't be like, hey, they were possessed or they were killed by possessed killers from Seraphir. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so, and then we do, we get here, like, obviously we knew this movie was leading into a sequel. Um, like, everyone knew that going in, but the way they tie these all together and the way they do the end of this, they do the clap, it's just the very classic slasher. You think everything is okay. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you think you're all you, good. and You sigh, like, your breath of relief, and you go, okay, mm-hmm. all that insanity is over. Yeah, because it all lines up to the logic. You're like, yeah, they killed her. They brought her back. She's alive. Like, she's good. It's good. Like, unfortunately, these characters are dead, but the killers are all gone. And so they're back at Sam and Dina's place. And, you know, like, Sam's upstairs. Dina gets a call. She's, like, downstairs going to get f- some food. Um, and she gets a call from C. Berman, um, who we know is Gillian Jacobs. Gillian? Jillian? Jillian. Jillian G- Jacobs and... Um, you know, she's like, no, we're good. We beat it. And she's like, you can't beat it. There's no escaping the witch. And then, you know, um, Sam, Dina turns around and has stabbed Sam. Um, and then. No, Sam has stabbed her. Sam has stabbed Dina. Yeah. Yeah. And then luckily we don't get the cliffhanger because like we get the fake scare out of Josh being downstairs in his like little, you know, uh, crime forensics lab. Um, this murder wall yeah and then dina uh, comes downstairs and like she's bleeding and she's just like something's wrong with sam and we see uh you know sam all tied up and that's where the movie ends with we know dina's alive we know josh is alive and we know sam's alive but she is now possessed and they tied her up with a phone cord because uh for those of you who don't know phones used to be attached to your wall with a giant windy cord yep yeah, um, and it, which, like I said, feels very much like besides her going down to Josh, like for the most part, that ends like any other slasher isolated to its own story. Like it pretty much wraps itself up and the fact that it's yep. left itself open for a sequel if the studio allowed that, but it's tied up enough ends that it feels like a complete movie, which this could have so easily just... <laughs> I don't 
<laughs> don't ask me why this is the first thing that pops into my mind, but the Pirates of the Caribbean, the second one where the movie just stops. Oh yeah. Do you remember that? And like you're no, literally No, I remember like, that cuz I just rewatched those. Yeah, movies. you're in the middle of the action of that movie and then it just stops and it's like, "Okay, yeah, well we're going to continue in the third one." And you're like, "No. Like that wasn't a movie. That was the like a two and a half hour start to a movie." And it was watching so those dissatisfying. Movies, oh, yeah. And watching those movies by the way back to back to back, you man they have a steady decline because <laughs> I mean, that, that first one is real good. That first movie is just a plus excellence. Yeah. Like, I do remember seeing that second one and being like, I thought we had like another hour of movie left. Uh, and then it like ended there and you're like, wait, what? I was obsessed with the first movie. Uh, so much so that I bought like a signed copy of the script off eBay. Like it was a whole thing. It's very, very obsessed with Pirates of the Caribbean. Orlando Bloom covered my walls. I, I, it's yeah. I had a whole hat, Mrs. Orlando Bloom. <laughs> it was a big thing. It was a beautiful time to be a teenage girl. Anywho, I like remember leaving that theater just ranting to my mother about how upset it was about how that ended and i can't believe we're gonna have to wait another year for a movie you can't do that it was a it was a whole thing so i'm glad they didn't do that oh yeah i'm and i mean even if they did we only had to wait a week but still um i think your favorite kill and my favorite kill are probably the same yeah i mean it's just a standout kill that Kate's yeah. kill is shocking. It's well done. The effects are beautiful. Whether it's actually possible to do that, that's debatable. Um, ben and I definitely discussed that. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Uh, it's unlike anything I've seen in a slasher, just in yes. general. It just yeah, it, was- it just takes everything that we've seen and just does what we've always wanted to see yeah no it was great um for like especially for i think why this movie works so well is because it's a great entry point for slasher fans there's so much homage and like winks for slasher fans um it it can appeal to a wide range of like ages and then even for like hardcore slasher fans like to pull something like that out like when you already enjoy the movie when you're like this is a blast and then to pull something like that and you're like oh shit like i've never seen something i've never seen that kill you know like i've never seen something like that um i just like i can't even tell you how much credit i give to lee janiac i just thought this was like a success across the board yeah um yeah and uh, it's positioned in the horror landscape. It's brand new, but it's um, it's huge. It's like I said, you know, at the at the top of the podcast, like there was a pop up store. They did uh, this like three week, um, you know, premiere thing. It's being covered by like every. It's being covered by all the major like horror outlets, but also just all the major like movie outlets. It's been one of Netflix's most viewed movies ever. Um, it's definitely like. Yeah, be put like it's helping with the revival of the slasher talk. At this point, I think we can say the slasher is revived. It um, is, yeah. Yeah, I think we've been on a steady They're green like green lighting them now. It's happening. Yeah, like slashers are just trendy again, which is great. Um, I think you know, like 
I, I put a lot of that on Christopher Landon, actually. I really think Happy Death 100%. Day was a huge, yeah, push and into that. And the Halloween um, reboot. Yeah, yeah. And now, like, with especially like this and then, you know, Freaky Success and we got the new time cut coming out. Um, and they're just like, like, you're seeing it. Like, if you pay attention to the headlines, like, they're just green lighting slashers left and right. Um, Grady Hendrix's new book, The Final Girl Support uh, Group, which is a... Um, which is a slasher, a huge homage to slashers. That one is already got a, um, a series attached at HBO. So yeah, we're going to be, I think we're, you know, we got the new Halloween. We're going to be a in a good time to be a slasher podcast. Absolutely. And <laughs> a slasher fan. Um, at the end of every episode, we do rank our movies, which you can find at keepscreaming.com uh, slash the dash list. Um, and this is our 77th movie. Um, that list is made up, uh, the way we rank these movies is not by like favorites, uh, or even best, but like how, how does that movie stack up as a slasher? Like what from top to bottom, that's why we, uh, examine every part of the movie because we're exploring all of the intricacies of the movie and how that stacks up as a slasher. Um, so number one is Nightmare on Elm Street from 1984, followed by my, my, the original My Bloody Valentine and the original Black Christmas. And then rounding out the bottom of the list, we have April Fool's Day, uh, both of them, 2008 and 1986, and Girls Night Out from 1982. Um, this movie is a spectacular slasher. Right. So it does, it gives us kind of reminds me of what we see happening a bit with I Know What You Did Last Summer, where it was a Mm -hmm. 90s slasher that was unlike Scream in the fact that it was very much an 80s blueprint slasher. It was calling Mm -hmm. back to that. And this one is kind of doing the opposite, where it's going to the 90s, obviously. Right. And so it's kind of a blueprint for not just Scream, which we do have like the whole whodunit for like the first half of it. And we have that type of killer and we've got the stalker aspect. We've got these teenagers. Um, You know, we've got our uh, tropes that even play into the cast like you know, the jokester and, you know, the girl and the, the ex, cheerleader, you know, yeah. yeah. And the popular and best like friend, the outcast, yeah. the rebel. So we were seeing or, I mean, all Dina, the, Dina. yeah, we're seeing all these tropes play out. Um, but then we're also sort of seeing like, guess what else was popular in the 90s? All of our slashers were supernatural. You know, Freddie, Jason, they were all supernatural at that point. Chucky was out in the 90s you know we saw Chucky come out in 88 so this is like the prime time for that so this then supernatural aspect fueling in the second half is also purely 90s slash Candyman like Mm -hmm. supernatural slashers were the definition of the 90s and then we had Scream so yeah Scream turned it and this manages to capture both both elements Mm -hmm. of that um, and then we so, get yeah. our, you know, we get our past trauma that affects the present. It's not familial, but it's still like we get that background, that past story. Again, even like you said, like very Candyman-esque, you know, this urban legend kind of that like resides over this town. Um, it's even very like Friday-esque, you know, kind of like 
this idea of this person, like the later Fridays, you know, like once Jason becomes this kind of like mythic figure. Um, and so like, you know, we kind of get that in there. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, just, I think we have a really strong final girl. I think, I think we have a great score. Um, like I love the score. It feels like, you know, great music. I mean, people, the few complaints I have seen about the series that feels like a little, it's, which feels a little heavy with the music, which is fine. I like that style. It's a style choice. And then the other complaint is that it's not fully immersed in the 90s, which it is in like tribute and style, but it definitely, like, I agree. I wouldn't necessarily know it was in the 90s immediately and there's definitely some things that can kind of take you out of that but it's so like limited you know like Mm. there's minor things that aren't appropriate for 94 or whatever Um, right but for the most part those are not issues that i'm gonna market against it and it's slasher-esqueness uh yeah it's hard it's like high up there like I mean, I think our killers are super, like, there's, I mean, the fact that we get, like, so many, and they all, like, have cool costumes, and they have their own iconic weapons, it's, like, um, I think like, for me, I'm looking at pretty high up. For it, and it's because it's reliant on the two sequels that are going to come, is that mm-hmm. although our killers are cool, we're left in a scenario where we don't have very heavy motive or um, you know, besides the fact that like it's a curse and the curse has affected Sam, like it's motive, but it doesn't feel as um, substantial as some of these ones that are higher up. Um, I would say that's literally the only thing that hurts it is our whole killer scenario is slightly weak in comparison to some of these other ones i agree um and that's why like that's almost where i'm like looking at kind of the differentiating differentiating point is like right around i mean like i it might sound like crazy to say but i'm looking like right around like i don't know 11, 12, maybe a little lower. Like I'm thinking maybe. a little lower. I was looking there first and then, you know, you start reading these off. So we have urban legend in 2009's bloody Valentine, cherry falls, um, which in, because cherry falls comes out, came out in 2000. This movie actually rem- like has some very like cherry falls type vibes. And then we're getting into like stage fright, um, valentine i think we're in this range yeah because i think i think our killer motive is better than like stage right valentine because i think Mm -hmm. they're both flimsy there too where it's Um, more so yeah it's just playing into right and then right and then cherry falls we have like our we have our killer who's motivated from the past um we have i mean cherry falls is just a lot of fun because it kind of flips the genre on its head and like Mm -hmm. turns a lot of the tropes around but but 
I do, I do think that this might win out over Cherry Falls, but not my bloody Valentine. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's just like just right there. I mean, I think I'd become, I, it feels super, Cherry Fall, this feels more, shell is not really the right word, but this feels more like entry level compared to Cherry Falls because of the fact that Cherry Falls does try and like do the post scream thing and like do some reinventing of the tropes that it's following where this yeah. one's not, which is fine. It doesn't no. need to. Right. It, it does yeah. the tropes really well. Um, and I think our, I think like where our killer is, is interesting in Cherry Falls, I think these ones are a little more fun. I think the kills are better. Like, I mean, oh, the, yeah. the bread no, slicer kill just like stands at. Yeah. Um, yeah, Which but then like, like my, in My Bloody Valentine 2009, the kills are awesome in that movie. Right. That's why I was kind of even like yeah. right around like looking at that because I was like, My Bloody Valentine, like we, I think we like have a really good actually like motive. We have um, a, a strong final girl um, with Jamie King's character in that movie. Um, yeah, yeah, I think, I think, I think right about Cherry Falls. Yeah, that sounds good to me. Cool. So this is going to be our new Fear Street 1994 will be our new number 15. That's nice to see something that high up. When's the last time we put something that high up? Probably. I mean, we covered Friday last year or the year before. So probably around there. Yeah. I mean, I think Nightmare's only been on the top of the list for like a year now. Oh, even Torso. They showed Torso at the New Beverly and I missed it. I was bummed. Uh, I really wanted to go see it. Yeah, I saw that on Instagram, which is how I see all those cool things that happen. And I was really jealous. I would kill. I am going to the Scream All Nighter the end of the month, which I'm very excited about. Um, Because I've never seen any of the Screams in theaters except one four. So to see two and three will be very nice. Yep, I just, well, I marked off one and two. And well, and I saw four in theaters originally. Oh, yeah, so you just got three. Nice. I have three I need to see. Alrighty. Well, we will be back with our next episode for, I don't know if you've guessed it, but Fear Street Part 2. I'm so excited for this one. I am. Um, yeah. So you guys can follow along too. They're all on Netflix. So you can catch all three, follow along with us that way. And we're going to do our best not to spoil because they're so new and also um, because we want to examine the movies as separate parts in- anyways. Um, and they do kind of do a lot of flowing um so yeah we'll be back in two weeks um thank you guys for sticking around after our hiatus but b and i are back we would love to hear from you and you can find us online at keepscreaming.com on facebook twitter and instagram at at screamingcast and if you haven't yet please rate review and subscribe to us on itunes it helps us grow and snag great new listeners thanks for listening and until next time keep screaming